coming up on Home Dunk. Drama. All sorts of drama. NFL location drama, stadium drama, drama of basketball squads, drama of an existential crisis, and then we talk to an actual dramatic actor as well. Nate Cordry. He's going to be with us. Stick around. I hit a home dunk. I wish that you would show up. I played over my head. Everything was off the charts. I jumped out the gymnasium and knocked it out the park. Did a handstand and hit a grand slam It was a great day for the fans Man, I got three sacks and broke three bats I gave the crowd money plus free snacks I did a hat trick and a backflip It's on ESPN Classic And you weren't there and it hurt me To watch them retire my jersey I hit a home dunk Thank you, Open Mike Eagle. Hello, Dunkaroos. I got a wonderful tweet this week saying that even if uh, somebody said, even if I didn't like listening to stuff about sports, I still would listen to Home Dunk because I like being called a Dunkaroo. Well, thank you to that Dunkaroo and to Dunkaroos all over the world. Hello, I'm John Moe. And uh, it's uh, got a lot of drama, as I alluded to this week. Um, and this is why I love sports. You know, I, I really I can watch football and uh, I guess I could kind of tell the difference between a nickel defense and something else. But I, not really. Like, I, I just don't work on that granular a level. I like stories. I like drama. Um, you know, I watch Breaking Bad and I watch the New York Knicks. And there's probably a lot of similarities between the two. So we're going to get into a lot of dramas this week. We're going to talk about the uh, the Rams possibly moving to L.A. We're going to talk about uh, what it's like in L.A. with no football. And we're going to talk about all the basketball drama. All right. So this week is Hall of Fame week for baseball, for Cooperstown. And uh, I, I've been following it because you, if you follow sports, you can't help but see stories. You can't avoid stories about Cooperstown. And uh, four people, four guys got voted in. Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, John Smoltz, and Craig Biggio. Craig Biggio is a very, very good baseball player, but also is the all-time leader in getting plunked and getting hit by pitches. Did you know that? But that's probably not why he made the Hall of Fame. But still, I think it's kind of cool. I hope he, I hope they toss him his plaque in Cooperstown, but accidentally hit his ribs with it because I think that would be funny. Um, lots of people didn't make it in. Mike Piazza came very close. Everyone's expecting he'll make it next year. Jeff Bagwell, fifty-five point seven percent of the vote. Uh, a few others, Alan Trammell's on there, Mike Mussina. Aaron Boone, for some reason, got two votes. And I don't think he's even the good Boone. I think Brett Boone was the good Boone, but what do I know? Um, but everybody's upset, too. I mean, everybody's always upset in sports. But people are, are gnashing their teeth about Roger Clemens, who got... Uh, 37.5% of the vote. Barry Bonds, 36.8% of the vote. Mark McGuire, 10%. Sammy Sosa, 6.6%. Do you know what all these people have in common? Yes, the brush of steroids, of performance-enhancing drugs. People judging these players to have uh, 
had some of their success due to stuff, junk, cheating, and whether or not those people belong in the Hall of Fame. And uh, it always leads to, well, is, you know, is this a historical record of baseball or is it meant to only honor the good people of baseball? You know, should Ty Cobb be in there because he was a complete monster, racist, weirdo jerk who everybody hated? Um, is that so different from from Mark McGuire uh taking junk and uh, and muscling all up and all of us thinking, oh, he must lift a lot of weights because we're gullible. And as sports fans, we often only see what we want to see that fits our own narrative. Well, here's the thing. I just don't think it matters. You know, I, I, I just don't think halls of fame matter at all. I've only been to one of them. I've been to Canton, Ohio, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And uh it was corny and it was it was uh sort of interesting, I guess. My wife and I were passing through town and so I went and she said, "Okay, I'm I'm going to go for a run. Have fun at your football museum." It was fine. Um but it doesn't really matter because I think we make our own halls of fame as sports fans. You know, we know what's important to us in our history of relating to sports. If you're worried about someone else's Hall of Fame, you're doing sports wrong. If you're worried about what everybody else thinks about the player who is important to you, then uh, then you're living for somebody else and you're not fully living your own sports experience. I think I, I was OK. I'm a Mariners fan, right? Delighted to see Randy Johnson get 97.3% of the vote. He's a very complicated dude. He did quit on the Mariners just before they traded him away. But uh, I don't know if that was intentional or if he was just so psychologically stormy that uh, that his arm shut down before he got traded to the Astros for Carlos Guillen, among others. And I know a lot of people who follow the Mariners are upset that Edgar Martinez got 27% of the vote, 148 votes. Primarily has been a designated hitter, had been a designated hitter his entire career, played a little bit of third base, but mostly a DH. And, you know, a lot of people think the best DH ever, but still a DH didn't really play the field. And that's been the knock against him. And so there's a lot of people who think, oh, no, he doesn't belong in there because he's not a real baseball player. And there's other people who think, oh, no, he absolutely belongs there. And you are being unfair. And it doesn't matter. Edgar Martinez is in my Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame in my heart and in my brain, because I was at the 1995 playoff series against the Yankees, where Edgar Martinez vaulted the Mariners into uh, the champion, the AL championship. And it was nothing like we had ever seen before. And, you know, uh, he was a gentle, soft-spoken guy, and uh, if he did steroids um, over his career that suddenly kept getting better and better and better, and he was very, very strong and was hitting for power in ways that he hadn't before, well, I don't know, but he's in my Hall of Fame. He's there, and other people are too. I mean, Pedro Martinez, of course. Yes, John Smoltz, naturally. Um, you know, the Aaron Boone, maybe not. But I think that we all form our own sports halls of fame. You know who is in my sports hall of fame? Burt Heffernan. Burt Heffernan was a catcher for the Seattle Mariners in the 1992 seasons. He played eight games 
for the team that year. He was a late season September call-up, I believe from Calgary was their, their farm team at the time. He had one hit in 11 at-bats. That was the only season he played in professional baseball. And the reason I remember Burt Heffernan is that when he would sign things, he would sign autographs in that you know week or two weeks that he was up with the big club, he would sign Bertram Edward Heffernan, which is a lot of letters, and it's his complete name. And when asked why he signed it Bertram Edward Heffernan instead of just Bert Heffernan, he said, well... I'm not going to be around here long, and so I need to make the most out of every autograph that I sign. And I've always thought that was completely, completely awesome. So he goes in my Hall of Fame. He goes in the Cooperstown of my mind and my heart. And I just think that's all that really matters. You know, if Pete Rose belongs in your Hall of Fame, put him in your Hall of Fame. But, you know, you just don't need to worry about Cooperstown all that much. And I had another idea, too. Because we, we talk so much about, uh, about halls of fame and whether Pete Rose, who bet on baseball, really belongs there, all-time hit leader, but uh, kind of shady in some ways. And, and it's always this existential crisis that'll never get resolved. And that's why you don't need to worry about other people's halls of fame. But I propose that we build a hall of infamy. Not a hall of shame, not people that we need to be ashamed of, but people who are infamous, people who are famous for the things that they do related to sports that are, uh, that are troubling or strange or dark or uh, evil or just, just weird in a bad way. So let's start a hall of infamy and let's induct Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and Roger Clemens. Let's put Pete Rose in there. Let's put Ty Cobb in there. Let's put Joe Jackson, shoeless Joe Jackson in there. Let's put the singer Joe Jackson in there because he's great too. Uh, let's put uh, Doc Ellis in there, who is the, the pitcher famous for pitching a no-hitter while on acid. And let's expand it out. Let's put Ron Artest in there for starting that brawl many years ago in the NBA. Let's put Jay Cutler in there because, and, and Jeff George from the NFL because everybody agrees that these are monster talents with enormously strong arms uh, who everybody hates. <laughs> I just think that's awesome. I think that's fascinating, and they are infamous. Uh, let's not put murderers in there. Let's avoid Ray Carruth or Aaron Hernandez, and let's not put Michael Vick in there for reasons of infamy because those poor dogs. Let's stick to things that related to play on the field, uh, things related to actually playing the sport. I bet Johnny Manziel will one day be eligible for the Hall of Infamy. And are you telling me, would you tell me, I don't think you would tell me, that you wouldn't go to the Hall of Infamy? I would so go to the Hall of Infamy. I would make tax-deductible donations to the Hall of Infamy. You could tour, and I don't follow hockey all that closely. You know there are tons of infamous hockey guys. Just You could have a Hall of Goons. You could have a whole display just, just on goons at the Hall of Infamy. Oh, someone build it. I'm going to build it. I'm going to kickstarter it and build the biggest building I can full of infamous athletes. And then we could, you know, have an induction ceremony and there will always be a fist fight and it'll just get really ugly. I, I think I'm onto something. Hall of infamy, home dunk. Hall of infamy, Dunkaroos. I'll see you at the Hall of Infamy.
it has been an interesting week in the National Basketball Association, full of games and scoring and hoops and baskets, yes, but full of psychological drama as well. Uh, here to check in about the doings in the NBA, Kelly Dwyer from the Ball Don't Lie blog over at Yahoo. Hello, Kelly. Uh, thanks for having me on, John. Thanks for being on. So let's, uh, let's start with the trade. Who went where? Well, Dion Waiters, who's a uh, kind of your 80s-style uh, Chuck first, ask questions later, uh, uh, wannabe score, was kind of the star of the trade. He went to the Oklahoma City Thunder. The, um, the New York Knicks got rid of a couple of uh, similarly-styled Chuckers of their own, and Iman Shumpert, and to a larger extent, J.R. Smith. They went to Cleveland to help shore up that team's weird lacking depth and the Knicks basically received absolutely nothing in return they they took in three players they immediately waived in order to save money which is weird for a team that kind of prints its own money and uh, a second round pick that probably won't end up making a team down the line so in all a very uh, an odd mid-season trade it's Phil Jackson's second trade as president of the Knicks and you know, kind of a clear signal that New York is, is more or less giving up on its on its season as, as well they should because they own the NBA's worst record so far. Well, why would the New York Knicks trade away players and get nothing in return on purpose? Yeah, there there should be some level of criticism hurled at them for the move. They could have gotten more had they traded, especially Shumpert, possibly last year. But it was becoming increasingly clear that 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 they were not that Jared Smith was not going to be part of their plans moving forward because he does not fit in their offense. And Iman Shumpert clearly wanted to get out of New York, and he's going to be a restricted free agent next summer, and, and Phil Jackson probably had absolutely no interest in resigning him. So it clears up their books for next summer when they can go after free agent players, but, uh, you know, that's just how the NBA works sometimes. And how about uh, with Cleveland? I mean, they trade away one guy who kind of shoots the ball somewhat indiscriminately and is pretty good coming off the bench, and they get two more of those guys coming into town. The, the issue here is that one of those guys at his best when he's healthy, and J.R. Smith is actually a, sometimes can be a more efficient version of that shocker, and the Shumpert is a is a very good defender when he's healthy. The issue is neither of them have been healthy this year. Neither of them have been comfortable in New York, and and uh, they're basically you know relying on the shine of LeBron James to uh, get their attitudes and their games in order. Now I uh, I follow the the team in Oklahoma, and as you know, as a Sonics fan, I cannot speak their name. Um, but what uh, what is this from from their angle? Because I've I've noticed that they have a a they don't want to go over. A certain threshold of salary or else they'll have to pay a luxury tax. That's why James Harden is no longer with them. And uh, and Reggie Jackson, the basketball player, not the baseball player, uh, looks set to leave at the end of this year. Is this related to, is this move on their part related to just being cheap? It, 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 it really looks that way. I, it's They're just a weird ownership group that, uh, you know, now that Don Sterling's out of the league is, is sort of the NBA's sort of, you know, shameful team that, that no one wants to talk about. They they pack that stadium. Oklahoma City's obviously not a large market, but they pack that stadium even when the team is lousy. And since then, the team has gone, you know, deep into the playoffs just about every year. So they're making a ton of money, and they refuse to go into the luxury tax, which is understandable on some basketball levels. Because there's, you know, penalties that deny you from signing players, you know, when you're over the cap, and and you know, fleshing out your roster with minimum salary guys and things like that. But the way they're doing it, it seems entirely based on finances, which may or may not have cost them a championship by now, or maybe even two. So yeah, it's it's a pretty frustrating. Uh, 
you know way to look at things for a team that has, that has basically been killing it in attendance and and you know revenue for a small market team since they moved there from Seattle. There's a day of reckoning for them coming up too. I mean, how long? How much longer are Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, uh, Serge Ibaka under under contracts with the team? Well, the big one is Duran, and he's a free agent in 2016. And, and uh, you know, it, listen, he can make more money in Oklahoma City than anywhere else. The, the sponsorships, you know, we're, we're a, you know, a, a global society now, so he can get a shoe deal no matter where he plays. Right. But the issue is, would he want to turn down more money to go to a team that, that is, you know, possibly willing to go into the luxury tax, a team like Washington, <laughs> which is near his home with someone like John Wall. So, you know... <sighs> Russell Westbrook may be the MVP of the, uh, the NBA so far, the way he's played. So it'd be, you know, a heck of a lot for him to want to walk away from a, from a talent like that. But when, you know, the, 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 the Thunder keep using these 18-month plans and looking ahead and, and, you know, waiting for the next asset to come along in order to make up for, you know, their, their, their parsimony, it, it, you know, it may get to him after a while. It's a little like how Chris Paul used to be on the Hornets. When, you know, they're just so yeah. bad and he's good and he's just waiting and then he runs out of patience. It's very frustrating. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that's the uh, the Oklahoma team's uh, psychodrama. Let's get over to the the Cleveland Cavaliers psychodrama. So since the end of last season, they've gone from being uh, a team we all knew would be terrible to a team we all thought would be a championship contender to now just this weird bunch of guys who don't seem to know what they're doing. It is. It's odd, and it's almost befitting of of you know Cleveland sports history in a way. They have right. they. That, you know, the general manager they employed after LeBron James left was one of the worst in recent history, and yet they were rewarded literally against the odds with a series of number one picks, one of which they completely, you know, whiffed on. Uh, those picks eventually turned into an all-star, perennial all-star in Kyrie Irving, and then they traded for Kevin Love, and, and they kind of lucked into getting LeBron James with their new general manager, who you know, appears to know what he's doing, but, uh, you know, sort of injuries and unfamiliarity and... and you know, possibly apathy from LeBron James, especially on the defensive end, has turned them into a middling outfit. They're 19 and 16 right now. They're they're in the bottom third defensively. They're not as great offensively as we you know thought they would be. And, and James is on the shelf right now. Yeah, I mean, I remember when LeBron James went to Miami. Uh, it took them. They didn't win the championship the first year because they those guys just needed to learn how to play together. They needed to learn to gel. Is this the kind of thing where they're just getting the feel for each other, or is this just a I mean, what are the indications that it's that or just guys who don't get along and don't mix? I, I don't want to dive into the get along thing yet because we did. Listen, these are three very big basketball brains in LeBron James and Love and Kyrie Irving. So they can eventually get it together, but at no point in Miami's initial season with LeBron and Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade were they putting up numbers that were this poor, were they this bad defending. That was still a, a top-five offensive team and a top-three defensive team by the time the 82-game season finished. So, I, I, you know, it's it's going to take some time, and we can't expect all-star teams to – you know, turn on a dime and, and figure things out. But we've at the very least thought that they would utilize some of their. They have a rookie coach in David Blatt who ran a fabulous offense when he worked overseas, and none of those hallmarks are showing up in Cleveland. They're not running the same plays. There's, you know, they're a very orthodox, staid offensive team that's basically relying on talent alone to get where they're going, and defensively, they're just a mess. LeBron James just turned 30, and uh, it's 
it's sort of a paradigm shift in my mind because I've always thought of him as the 15-year-old on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And so he's always been in ascendancy. He's always been getting yet better and better and better. But now he's 30. He's got a, a million NBA minutes on those legs. Has LeBron peaked? He possibly has, but he is also possibly going to end up as the greatest player ever. So no, him as B-plus version of LeBron James can still be the most dominant player in the NBA and lead a, you know, even a lacking team to an NBA title. But as you alluded to, he is the oldest player, oh, excuse me, oldest 30-year-old in NBA history. Yeah. When, when Michael Jordan was 30, he was possibly in his prime because he used to only play 30 games a year at North Carolina, whereas when LeBron James was 18, he was playing 40.5 minutes a night for a terrible Cleveland Cavaliers team. Uh, you know, the same as some of the various Olympic and and you know, overseas obligations he has. So, yes, it is possible that he has peaked, but, uh, you know, you wouldn't want to rule the guy out. Every, every, it's like, it's this is why I love the NBA. Like, I don't even get to watch as many games as I'd like to, but as someone who studied a lot of Shakespeare in college and read a lot of Eugene O'Neill plays, that, that you know, it's really a psychodrama, isn't it? Truly is, and it's and listen. I love nothing more than sitting down on a Wednesday and flipping through ten games at a time. But there is a just a giant. Uh, there's a litany of fans out there that, that cannot watch the games, but just adore the storylines. Yeah. And I can't blame them because they can keep up through you know various media types and social media and, and what have you, and, and pretty much know exactly what's going on without being able to uh, you know dissect the Chicago Bulls hedging defense or, or you know side to side movements in Miami. So it's a yeah, it's it's a ridiculous league that I, I will unendingly love covering. <laughs> now, uh, one one more uh, story I want to get to is in Milwaukee with Larry Sanders, not the Gary Shandling character, Larry Sanders, but the actual dude, Larry Sanders, a very good basketball player, and rumors have been going around that he simply doesn't feel like playing basketball anymore. Yeah, I mean, he basically admitted to as much yesterday. He, he did show up to the uh, he plays for the Milwaukee Bucks. Did show up to their game uh, in street clothes. Talked to the media. Was was open and honest as he usually is. And uh, you know, kind of went against what his agent, as you'd expect an agent to say, said. And 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 said, I'm not for whatever reason. I'm not okay to play basketball right now. He, he did not mention anything specifically with his mindset. If he was, you know, dealing with some various, you know, possibly chemical enhanced uh, issues, uh, the NBA has a pretty strict uh, drug testing policy. Um, but uh, and and Dan Sanders has had some nightclub issues in the past, but. He says he's not ready yet, and uh, you know it's a tricky. I don't want to play, uh, you know, sideline psychologist here, but it's it's a tricky it's a tricky thing. And he's in the first year of a four year, forty four million contract, and if he decided he wouldn't want to play, he'd have to, you know, give that money back. He'd have to turn that money down, and that's. You know that's just well, that may be where his mindset is. Not every six foot ten guy loves playing basketball, and uh, you know even the fictional Larry Sanders left his show to go up to Montana for a year. So it's <laughs> you know it's it's possible that there's something there. With that in place, it's a long season. He has. You know the NBA has has great staff for this. You don't get a lot of this in the NBA. They they've got good people trying to look out for for guys like this. And uh, you know it is possible that it could just be some sort of seasonal thing going on where he doesn't really want to, you know, drive to work when it's five o'clock and dark already out in Milwaukee and and run up and down the court for three hours. Is there precedent to this? I mean, I remember when Alonzo Mourning was officially on the Toronto Raptors and just simply didn't show up because he, yeah. he was just not into it. But is there precedent for somebody like not at the end of their career just deciding, eh, I don't like this? 
Well, the, the, the prime example is someone named Bison Daley, who under the league is Brian Williams. Yes. And he he gave up, I believe, about $25 million because he just he did not want to play basketball anymore. He was a cultured guy. He was a smart dude. He's one of, the, one of my favorite players of all time. Um, and he was just, you know, when you're a basketball player, and especially if you're a tall player, you're forced into these things when you're, you're a kid because people look at you and they know that you're going to be Six foot eleven, and that's what six foot eleven people do. They right. play basketball. What's wrong with you if you're not, you know, walking around dribbling the ball? So, at some point, you might get tired of that. With with Alonzo, you know, that was mainly because they had sort of a, a weak need administration in Toronto that didn't have the temerity to want to tell him that you know you we don't have to give you money to walk away. But uh, no, there's not a lot of precedence in this because. Yeah, there's a lot of money to be made, and and guys can kind of suffer through it. So I just you know hope hope the best for him because we have absolutely no clue what's going on in his head right now. All I can think of is that scene in Office Space with Ron Livingston and Jennifer Aniston, where uh, Peter Livingston's character just starts to kind of give up. It doesn't really matter. I uh, I don't like my job, and uh, I don't think I'm going to go anymore. You're just not going to go. Yeah. Won't you get fired? I don't know, but I really don't like it, and uh, I'm not going to go. You know, nothing against movies, nothing against Broadway or live theater, but uh, the drama's all in the NBA right now. We got it. Wonderful uh, January intrigue. That's Kelly Dwyer from Yahoo Sports. Soon after I taped that conversation with Kelly, the Cleveland Cavaliers made another trade. They picked up Timofey Mozgov, wonderful name, a uh, pretty good player, too, from the Denver Nuggets for two future first-round picks. Anderson Varejao from the Cleveland Cavaliers, of course, is injured for the season. They needed a guy in the middle. But what it really tells you is that Cleveland is trying to get this done now. This isn't LeBron James talking about building for the distant future. They're making it happen, trading two first-round picks for Timofey Moscow. We're talking now to my pal Nate Cordry, an actor and comedian out in Los Angeles. Hello, Nate. Hey, John. How's it going? It's going well. Now, I I called you because I think you are going to have a good perspective on this. You are from the Boston area where people take sports entirely too seriously, and you live in Los Angeles where they don't take sports seriously at all. If you told that to a Laker fan, they would get incredibly defensive and indignant. I, I've <laughs> I've uttered that exact same sentence to some Laker fan friends of mine, yep. and they get real mad. <laughs> well, you got to say it in the first quarter of a Lakers game because they won't have showed up by then. Yeah, it's the same same goes with the Dodgers. Yes. You say it between the first and the third, and the seventh and the ninth, you're yeah. free and clear. You're totally fine. <laughs> So now I really feel like the entire issue with this city is public transportation. Really? You can't get to these games conveniently. You have to drive. Unless you're going to Staples Center, there's like one light rail train that goes to Staples Center. But Dodger Stadium is in Echo Park, way on the east side, and you you can't there's no train that goes anywhere near. You, I guess you can take a bus, but a bus really only holds, you know, fifty people or something. Yeah. So you're forced to drive. And you're just hamstrung by traffic. I, I kind of see that as a semi-valid reason. If, if there was some sort of public transportation, I would say, okay, these fans are terrible. But 
the fact that they they have another hoop to jump through right um, makes it. I'm trying to give them a little bit of credit, but not too much. Just just a little. Yeah, I, I think that's generous of you. But now there has not been a team. Uh, an NFL team in Los Angeles for going on 20 years now. And what's what always strikes me as weird is that there's no urgency among the people of Los Angeles to get a team back. They had the Rams. They even had the Raiders for a little while. So like it, it seems like in, in L.A. people aren't all that worked up about not having an NFL team. People in L.A. aren't worked up about anything. There is the temperature is beautiful. The weather is always wonderful. There's the mountains and the ocean. There is a lax behavior. I'm not talking about everyone, but moving from New York City to L.A., the biggest culture shock was how laid back people were. They're motivated about um, box office grosses, right? And um, you know how many what what the rating is on television shows, um, but that's really about it. There's sort of a lackadaisical attitude, I think, in general in this city, which makes it so appealing to so many people. But they're not too jazzed about anything. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the the baseball teams do well. And and I guess then, you know, you can imagine the kind of lazy approach to, you know, to baseball. And it's a game that takes its time and everything. Football, there's a lot right. of urgency and, and violence, which maybe goes against the culture. San Diego, um, which is a very different city, a more conservative city, but a beach town and yes. has beautiful weather, they love their Chargers, um, even though that stadium is maybe the worst stadium in sports. Right. I tried to go to a game there this fall, and it was a living hell. It was like 109 degrees, <laughs> and the people are um, unlikable. Uh-huh. Uh, so <laughs> We're just making friends in cities all over the country in this podcast, aren't we? Yeah, who's next? <laughs> Who do you got, Omaha? <laughs> Screw Ooh. you, Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> I got plenty to say about Topeka. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think that... The Dodgers, uh, I think you're exactly right. Baseball is a different game and is a different pace. And there's something more casual about watching baseball. Football is a little bit different. Um, But if they can build a stadium that is accessible, I think people will show up because it really is a city of transplants. All my friends are football fans, but they're all fans of the teams that they grew up with. A lot of people come and move to L.A. for work. I feel like if there was a new team to rally around, I think people would show up. I think just the newness of it, period. You know, it's the hot new thing. It'd be a beautiful new stadium. I think that would attract an enormous amount of money. Whether or not it would be around 20 years after, that's a harder question to answer. Right. Well, they're talking about putting it down in Inglewood. Is that an accessible place? Is that a place that you could see you and your friends going to? <laughs> And now I'm going to trash Inglewood. Okay. Um, the answer is a resounding no. Mm. Um, you know, there's like the Hollywood Park used to be there, which was this racetrack and casino that um, I went to once to play poker and was assaulted by a prostitute in the parking lot who ran up to me and saw me as like, you know, a target and was like, give me my money. 
you owe me money. And I was like, I don't know you. And my buddy's like, get out of here, and like pulled me into the car. So that's really my only experience in Inglewood, wow. being accosted by a prostitute. Okay. So uh, so location may be a bit of an issue then. I will be a season ticket holder. Well, and there's something kind of charming if it's the Rams, because, I mean, I feel really bad for the people of St. Louis because I think the Cardinals still ought to be there. But the Rams used to be an L.A. team. And what always strikes me when I go to Los Angeles is how 50s Los Angeles still is, because it's it's not like here in, in Minnesota where the weather will just destroy all buildings over time. In L.A., it's yeah. so beautiful that that, that that whole 50s boom can stay there. So you, you get kind of a, a built-in retro thing if you get the Rams. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure the stadium that they build will be closer to Jerry's world than... Um been something retro, unfortunately. I, I, I really think that what's changed is that the NFL has overtaken baseball as the sport of America, and L.A. wants in and wants a piece of that money. The NFL network here is in Los Angeles. They would be miles, like three miles from the, the site of the new stadium. Before, when they left, I think people were fans of teams, but they weren't fans, at least for me, I wasn't a fan of the NFL. I could name New England Patriots, but I couldn't name a single guy on the Seahawks. But since fantasy football has become so enormous and the game has become so enormous, I think the fans will support it. There will be enough support for it to to thrive. There's been rumors, uh, the strongest rumors are about the Rams, but there's also been rumblings that the Oakland Raiders might move to L.A., even rumors that the the San Diego Chargers Uh, would move to L.A. Would you have a preference among those three? Yeah, my preference would be an NFC team. Um, And of those three teams, just the Raiders, like... uh, It's a lot of baggage. They're just gross. The Raiders are just horrible. Screw you, Oakland. Like, out. Al Davis, like, is uh, he's the, I mean, you know, rest in peace, dear Al, but maybe the worst owner in NFL history. And that franchise is such a garbage can, and the fans are horrible. Like, I hate the Raiders. The Chargers are much better. Like, Phillip Rivers, is is Phillip Rivers going to be my quarterback in L.A.? No, I'm moving. I'm moving (laughs) to Winnipeg. Like, forget it. That guy is the worst. You're going to be a uh, CFL fan. You're going to support the Blue Bombers. Yeah, go bomb, go uh, LOS. You know, <laughs> I think they're yeah, all. I'm na- a diehard. I had this conversation with a friend of mine. I'm a diehard Patriots fan, and he's a diehard Giant fan, and and we both said it would be fun to go to games, but yeah. I can't see myself like I'm too old to like reinvest in a team and become and fall in love with them. I, I think like. That's over for me. I have my teams, and now it's over. Well, that's the noble thing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I believe in that orthodoxy, that the team you grew up with is the team you should stay with, and divorce should not be possible unless the team relocates. Yeah, I, I kind of believe that, too, and there's a part of me that's like, well, you're missing out. You should, be, you should also root for the Dodgers, because the Dodgers are a fun organization. It's a beautiful ballpark, yeah. and they have great history. And I, I, and I follow them, but I don't. You know, I'm not, I don't check the box score every day like they do, like I do with the Red Sox. Yeah, no, you're doing the right thing. Well, Nate Cordry, enjoy the weather in L.A., and uh, good luck getting around to the various places you want to go. Thank you, Fred. I appreciate it. Well, turning to checkers, Alex Moiseev, current 11-man checkers champion, you know, from Dublin, Ohio, 
It's going to go up against Tim Laverty. He's a challenger from Graham, North Carolina. It's going to happen January 17th through 19th. Ho, ho, ho. Buckle up. Laverty versus Moiseyev. It's happening. It's really happening. Burlington, North Carolina, January 17th through 19th. The Econo Lodge Hotel. I'll see you there, Dunkaroos. Home Dunk is produced by Nina Patak and engineered by Randy Johnson, uh, who we're, we're really thankful because he took time out of getting elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame and is our engineer. Different, Randy Johnson. We get support from Steve Nelson, from Peter Clowney, from people all over Minnesota Public Radio and American Public Media. We are part of the Infinite Guest Podcast Network. You should go to infiniteguest.org and check out all the fine things available therein. Uh, Sherman Alexi's on there. We got an etiquette podcast on there. We got uh, hip-hop podcasts on there. We got all the good things. See you next week, Dunkaroos. I'm John Moe. Bye now. Bye now.